Hi, and welcome to It's Complicated, a podcast about healthcare ethics and practice presented by the Nova Scotia Health Ethics Network, or NSHEN. I'm Marika Warren, network ethicist for NSHEN, and I'll be your host for this discussion. This podcast is currently a time-limited trial to see if we can make our resources more accessible in audio format. I'm joined today by my colleague, Melanie Goodday, who is a member of the Clinical Ethics Consultation Team at IWK Health, to talk through how we prepare before going into an ethics consultation. We'll be basing our discussion on a case that appeared in the Hastings Centre report, and the link to the case can be found in the show notes. This case involving a parent who needs to make a decision for their child and the healthcare team's concerns about that decision shares many features with cases that have sparked requests for ethics consults at the IWK. But first, Mel, perhaps you'd like to give just a brief overview of some of the key details of the case and why the ethics consult was received. Certainly. So this is a case that involves a 34-year-old pregnant woman who is at a gestation of 20 weeks. She's a parent of four-year-old twins. And she went to the hospital to get an ultrasound. And and during that ultrasound, uh, her fetus was diagnosed with hypoplastic left heart syndrome. And so this is a congenital heart defect that requires uh, surgery for treatment. And if surgery uh, does not happen uh, soon after birth and there's a three-stage surgery over the next five years, then certain death would occur. And so this mother um, was consulting with her healthcare team, was ultimately referred to to have this surgery at a tertiary care centre. And this case has to do a little bit with the fact that currently um, she's deciding whether or not to have this surgery um, for her fetus. In terms of the background for this case, this is a a parent who um, originally was living in an urban centre and has, over the last few years, been living in a rural area, has a history of um, substance uh, use disorder, and has been abstinent for the last two years. And she attributes um, moving to a rural area and parenting as helping her in her recovery. A few years ago, she was incarcerated several times for opiate-related offenses. At that point, the judge had said that if she was to show up uh, in front of the, in the just, involved with the justice system again, that she may lose custody of her children. So that's some of the, the relevant social history pieces. And so right now, um, this patient's consulting with her healthcare team and trying to make some decisions around whether to uh, go ahead with the surgery for her fetus and has explored what that means. These are uh, three surgeries that would occur, as I mentioned, within the first five years of life and require um, significant inpatient stays during that time and extensive medical management as an outpatient. All right. And so the team here has put in an ethics consult request because they're concerned about the decision making. And there's some questions that have come up around whether child protection needs to be contacted as part of this, as well as some questions around the reasoning for this uh, patient and the process of decision making that she's using. Um, so I'm wondering for you, you know, as you looked at, at this case and sort of coming to it as an ethics consultant, so what stood out for you? So I guess the first thing that's, that, you know, that stood out is obviously this is a very complicated situation. And that, and that makes sense because that, those are the types of consults that we might see is when teams are struggling with um, very complicated situations and something that might be a little bit different from cases they or patients they may typically be, be working with. So there's something uh, it seems like that's potentially different about this situation. Um, obviously, this parent has a very difficult decision to make, and uh, what stood out for me for sure were you know lots of interesting pieces, as you mentioned, around decision making, and specifically, I guess, around um, value laden decision making, and, and what happens if some of the decision outcomes are 
different from what a healthcare team may have recommended or professionally um, thought for, for themselves that they would make. Yeah, I heard also in the uh, in the consult request there was you know a, a statement around you know most urban parents would choose to have the surgery. So it also struck me that there was the rural urban differences, and certainly that's something we encounter frequently in consults in you know, Nova Scotia and in you know, Atlantic Canada generally. And I thought that that piece of it was an important thing to bring to the fore as a relevant consideration in making what is obviously a very difficult decision. And there's certainly nothing in the case to indicate that you know, this parent is coming to it um, without sort of a full awareness of the magnitude of the decision that uh, that she's facing. So I'm wondering in terms of sort of the key values for you or things that you, know, you want to sort of highlight uh, in the discussion, um, what would you identify there as the focal points. So I guess the one of the things that I noticed, um, and I think the interesting part too, is that you know we can't necessarily ever predict uh, how the course of a consult or how how it might go. So these are just things from the initial information we've been provided with. But once we're actually in the consult meeting, many other things may pop up that we didn't expect, or or you know. Um, these may not end up being the focal ethical points, but something just from this background information I was thinking about, you know, that respect for parental autonomy piece. So around this parent's decision making and um, whether she's you know able to make this decision and what's her reasoning process and what, as you mentioned, what are some of those important, relevant, ethically relevant uh, considerations or factors that go into this decision making. Um, another piece was kind of non-judgment and that uh, the value of non-judgment between uh, healthcare providers and their patients and families. Uh, the duty to provide care came up for me in evidence-based medicine. Moral distress, it's, it seemed potentially that, um, you know, just from this information again, that um, the healthcare team may have felt some distress over the parent's decision and that it may have been different f- that from their professional recommendation or personal values and, and how they may navigate that. Best interest, so the matter of you know a parent deciding the best course of action for their child in the in the family and child context, and factoring in those values and belief systems, along with obviously the prognosis and the benefits and burdens of treatment. Patient family centered care, absolutely, and and also harm reduction. So, but knowing that none of those things may come up, and there may be a totally different um, track once the the consult um, happens. Absolutely, and I think the. Uh, there's a piece there as well around you know trauma-informed care as well that certainly we've seen that an emphasis on that clinically, but in this case where there's the history of incarceration, uh, the history around you know any further involvement in the judicial system you know, results in loss of custody of existing children that 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 piece is you know, going to likely come into play one way or the other. I'm wondering if there's any sort of extra information. So as you mentioned, absolutely, we often don't wind up in the consult we think we're going to be in uh, at the outset. But I'm wondering if there's more information that so you think will help refine that discussion or bring out the things that are going to be uh, important or you know, questions that we should ask maybe even before we go in. Well, I guess I, I was very, um, I'd be very you know, curious about um, the specifics around what what is the impact of geography on prognosis and, um, and on a parent's decision making specifically with this diagnosis. Um, also, I'd be interested just uh, some of the things I was wondering about is how the healthcare team typically navigates or, or manages their reactions if they are working and supporting patients' uh, decision-making, yet they disagree with the outcome of the decision. What What is the kind of their typical practice or how do they navigate that? Um, so those are, the, I guess, some of the things that came immediately to mind. Yeah, I think I had some questions around 
some of the clinical pieces and and like say the prognosis both for survivability but also you know potential um, increased care needs or you know, neurological issues that would again increase the uh, the burden given both the social context as well as the family context and sort of supports and resources that are or are not available uh, to this family and there seemed to be sort of a discrepancy in terms of how the healthcare team was looking at some of the numbers that were given, you know, the sort of 20% survival to age 10 with, you know, sort of 29% chance of some of those, you know, neurodegenerative issues coming into play. And the healthcare team says, but, you know, likely it will be totally normal. And so, again, sort of how those those numbers have played out. Um, and I think the, you know, the patient's understanding of some of those numbers uh, as well. Um, I think there's some some conversation to be had there on sort of the the clinical side, but also the ethical implication of that uh, clinical information and the way that both the patient and team might be interpreting it differently. Absolutely. And and, and just kind of to that point that um, on the clinical side is, you know, is it typical that, you know, um, for this diagnosis that it is acceptable to either choose palliation or this surgical treatment? Is that, you know, within the realm of kind of what would be the reasonable parent standard to be able to do? And once all of those other contributing factors are assessed and, and weighed by the parent, is there some latitude there? Yeah, and I think that that reasonableness piece, again, do we do we think of it as reasonable in terms of most parents that are seen by a service or reasonable in terms of other parents sort of similarly situated to these parents? Because again, you know, sort of the, the team may have calibrated their expectations in one way that might not align with, again, all those other factors that are in play for this particular patient. And I think another question that I'd have, and I think in thinking about how to approach this particular consult that I think would need to be asked fairly sensitively, but the degree to which there's been consideration of the equity, diversity, inclusion of the role that stigma may be playing, you know, implicit bias, sort of all of those pieces and the ways that they've influenced the discussion thus far and potentially have you know, landed the team and the patient in a place where there is this sort of tension and conflict. Yeah, Absolutely. I even wonder to the extent, too, that these um, services are available for uh, a child with this condition of just the equi- equity pieces and the systemic access um, pieces that are, you know, are likely outside of both the healthcare team's control and obviously the parents, but could be causing distress in, in both realms. Absolutely. And, and the fact that they you know, flag again in terms of thinking of equity very broadly with, again, that rural urban disparity that uh, there's a note that there's, you know, Twofold higher mortality if you're more than two hours, or sorry, 90 minutes away from the surgical center. That strikes me as being a significant indicator of disparity, and again, something that should probably be highlighted in the discussion as a contributing factor. That again, not all patients and families are are situated equally. In, in this case, in a very literal sense, in terms of the distance away, and also again, taking into account the fact that that setting has been therapeutic for this particular patient, because um, I know sometimes in these discussions there's a, somewhat of a tenor of, well, the family should just move to be closer for five years or sort of, you know, sometimes it it gets almost to there being a, a tinge of you know, good parents would do this sort of thing. And I think really emphasizing that, you know, A, that general line is challenging in and of itself and should be resisted, but also in this particular case, you know, being a good parent, you know, really 
is directly tied with her being farther away from the care centre because of all the other benefits that that uh, provides. And have and have being the only person to have full knowledge of all of those contributing factors. Yeah. Yeah. And again, really, really honouring in that sort of patient and family centred way the experiences, knowledge, and you know those values that are important uh, to her in terms of being a good parent to the children that uh, that she has, and also recognizing that being a parent of twins is often challenging in and of itself, much less uh, you know, with the additional you know, requirements that having a child who requires extensive medical care brings into, into that dynamic. So you mentioned at the outset that you know, sometimes we don't walk into the consult, we think we are, but in terms of um, this case, what might you expect or try and sort of be prepared to manage in terms of the dynamic in the room? Well, I think, you know, it would make sense that there would be lots of emotion in the room. That would make sense. And I think uh, there may be um, different power dynamics or interpersonal relationships that um, or different, you know, team functioning dynamics to be aware of. I think it'd be really, uh, it's always very important to create a safe space where you can very much listen to whatever the team is bringing in terms of the consult to be able to help help them frame it up. And so I guess that would be the kind of the initial thing would be really setting the tone to be able to, first of all, be aware of what are the dynamics in the room and then and then try and provide, you know, um, validation around this is a very complicated situation for all involved and, and how can we help um, flesh out some of the ethics issues or some of the values involved to help them work towards addressing them and addressing the dilemma. Yeah, and I think asking sort of in advance of the meeting about the supports that might be available for you know, the parent in this case. And I guess you know, also asking the question of, is this going to be a conversation where we're facilitating it between the team and the patient? Or is this the team struggling with it sort of independently? And are we going to you know, be chatting with the team? But I think certainly if the, the patient is involved, thinking about what are the supports uh, for them in the conversation in order to, like you say, make it a a space in which they feel that they can you know, authentically and safely share what matters uh, to them in the situation. Um, and I think, again, dealing with some of the potential undercurrents around sort of why this case, why this patient, um, and and finding ways to sort of raise challenging questions without triggering sort of defensiveness on the part of the team, I think would be, again, like you say, being very attentive to the dynamic in the room and sort of being very intentional about how we phrase things and the sorts of questions uh, that are asked. And again, like you say, you know, framing it out around our role is to support and acknowledging you know, the fact that this is a very difficult, challenging situation um, and that you know, we're not coming in to judge because I think there's probably, like you say, going to be a lot of emotion, a lot of pre-existing conversations that we haven't been party to that are going to nonetheless sort of be there in the background uh, for this discussion. I wonder too if it might, you know, it'd be helpful to also for just, you know, for us to be very mindful of the fact that being in a rural environment, there may be different relationships outside of professional relationships that um, people have in, you know, in the community or personal relationships, just to be mindful of that may have a higher, higher likelihood of occurring. And, and that may create um, additional dynamics. Absolutely. That, yeah, that there's that whole extra layer of relationships that needing to be sort of aware of the potential effects. And again, that the effects can be quite wide ranging sort of in, in both you know, positive and potentially challenging uh, directions. So we're coming to the end uh, of our discussion at this point. So I'm wondering, you know, from your perspective and you know, through this conversation, you know, what does it tell us about why it's often complicated when we go in to uh, do an ethics consult? Well, I think, you know, 
just by virtue of um, if you know a patient or family or healthcare team uh, consults ethics, it's because they're struggling with a challenging situation. So if it was easy to solve, it would have already been solved. And so it's it's uh, I think very important to just respect that people have already gone through some sort of process and they're looking for an additional lens uh, maybe on the issue. And that we uh, have a little bit of information. We we never have the full story. And so we really have to be open to whatever people are looking to speak about in the moment at the consult and, and help really draw out um, the ethics issues within whatever they're speaking about and not have our own agenda of what we're going to be uh, or what we think we're going to be talking about because um, we know that's not helpful. So I think that's, you know, one of the pieces is it's always maybe the iceberg principle. We, we might know a little bit of the top of it, but uh, there's probably nine-tenths below the surface that... Um, we hope to create a space for people to to discuss. I think that's a very apt, apt metaphor. And as I think back to some consults that I've been in, where I was, you know, blithely oblivious to that iceberg, and you know, wound up, you know, to continue the metaphor, you know, running my boat onto uh, onto some of those uh, those shores there. Um, I think that's that's right. And I think you know that sort of approaching the consult with humility um, is uh, is one of the ways that we really try and address that sort of challenge of sort of recognizing, you know, the limitations of both sort of our knowledge and understanding um, and also of, you know, the role of the the ethics consult that, you know, we're there to support around those ethics pieces. Um, but as much as we would love to be able to, you know, it's not our role to, to solve or to make make everything uh, better in that discussion. But hopefully we make it a little less worse yes. uh, for folks. <laughs> Um, so Mel, thank you so much for coming and you know, chatting through this uh, with me. I think it provides a really useful resource for folks you know, who are wondering what that ethics consult process looks like, whether it be patients and families or other clinicians who might be interested. So we really appreciate your sharing of your expertise and knowledge through the discussion. Thanks very much for having me. And so I'd like to thank uh, everyone else involved as well. So we've got production support for this podcast from Lisbeth Vitoff-Nielsen, Krista Malishko-Skerry, and the audio and video team at Dalhousie Med IT. Thanks to Ben Caps for our theme music, and thank you for listening. Until next time. Mm-hmm.